Hello and welcome aboard the USS Henson and to Rise and Shine, your unofficial Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm your host Jason and joining me as always on the bridge is my number one, Michaela. Hello. Now we're not hardcore Trekkies, I wouldn't say we're hardcore Trekkies, we are mm, casual Star Trek fans I would say and somehow we've never made it through Enterprise at yeah. all. Um, we barely made it through the third episode but we have now of course. Yeah, um, we've seen us yeah, twice as many twice now. Twice as many now, so we, we definitely improved. And um, that's the reason why we created Riser and Sign, and to keep us honest and finally watch Enterprise. Um, we know it's not the most popular with the fans of the series, but we wanted to find out for ourselves to see if that is yeah. true. So that's why we created the podcast. And basically each week we will discuss, review and rate um, each uh, an episode until we complete the entire four-season run. Um, if you'd like to know a little bit more about us and our history with Star Trek, uh, Star Trek and the franchise, go back and check out episode zero because we get into a little bit more about our background and how we got together and how we met. And um, I love watching Star Trek together on the couch, so you can find out a little bit more on episode zero. And if you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can send them to our new email address, which is riserandshinepodcast at gmail.com. All right, with that out of the way, take your stations and let's get into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 7 of Enterprise, The Andorian Incident. Okay, now, normally in Rise and Shine, what McKenna and I do is pretty much go through the plot of the episode beat by beat, and then we just bring up any points that were interesting or that we kind of go off on as we banter back and forth yeah. but we thought we'd switched up this is a new podcast and we don't know what we're doing clearly so we thought <laughs> we can just just switch things up as we go along and just try something different so we thought we'd freestyle it today we just literally just Have watched you, yeah. it and we're just going to go over things as and when they kind of come to us we'll kind of go through the plot but we may jump back and forward as we remember things here and there so it's not a direct sort of A to B of the plot it's whatever happens really so we're going to freestyle it don't expect any black thought level of freestyling here this is very basic freestyling um, we're not rappers so <laughs> yeah this is going to be a very poor freestyle um, but yeah we'll just kind of talk about it and just kind of see how it goes and where it takes us um, so yeah episode and that perhaps uh, could be also an opportunity for people to add more of their comments yeah you know yes. seeing if we left out something anything we've left out on any little trivia like if there's a certain thing that someone says or a character um, that we missed out on that ties back to something else in Star Trek all those yeah. little things nerdy things that we may have missed please tell us let us know or point us in the direction of where we can find out a bit more of this stuff because sometimes we even when we do our bit of a research we miss the sort of minutia of Star yeah. Trek and we know the heart it's such a huge universe we know anyway. the radical fans will, will yeah. always tell us off when we're wrong so yeah let us know if we miss anything we're, we're very open to, to finding out all the little ins and outs of the details um, but yeah this episode so previously on Riser and Shine we thought that episode 6 Terra Nova was okay it was yeah. okay um, you gave it 3.5 no 3 no, out of 5 pips yeah um, you thought it was better than the first three or four episodes that we've yeah, seen. Yeah, not as good as number five. Unexpected, it's still the best one we've seen so yeah. far. And I was originally going to give it two pips, but it got three pips basically thanks to because, Eric Avari, yeah. um, who was in yeah. it. Who's uh, you know he's been in so many things, so he got he pushed it to a, a three pip. So we kind of up the level 
of quality and enjoyment in that episode. So the very title of this episode, the Andorian incident, that yeah. got us a bit excited, kind of yeah. hints at the promise of intrigue, some action, maybe some subterfuge, some yeah. shenanigans might be going on. And we kind of got that. Yeah. Again, it was a mission of the week one. Yeah. It's going through the motions. And to be fair, now, it's a heavily mm, Vulcan episode, I would say. Yeah. Not necessarily... So there was not stars. There was not fireworks in a sort of way. Not, not really. We kind of got to know a little bit more about the Vulcan. Subtle action. Yeah. So we, we got to... Yeah, this is a Vulcan sort of episode, a little bit more about who they are and what they do and what they're like. But for a Vulcan episode, there was some logical plot holes in there, I thought, yeah. that we thought they were a little bit... Huh? Yeah. That didn't quite make sense. So as we kind of go through it, so basically the episode starts with Trip and Tucker as usual checking out some Vulcan um, star charts, mm. and obviously being Vulcans, they expect them to be absolutely perfect. Perfect, yeah. Trip is like, you know, we're explorers. Why are we going to places that people have already been? And Arch is like, you know, well, we haven't been there, so we should check them out. And besides. Remember some proto star that we passed last week? Yeah, it's not on their map. So and who that, knows what else? That should have been already. Who knows what else that I they can't. haven't put on the map, or things that they don't find exactly. interesting that they don't chart. So you know, so that it was actually I, I like that conversation because you know Trip always has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in regards to Vulcan. So so he's. Anything when when Arthur said, always, oh, well, everyone's trying to one up each other, right? Yeah. At the moment, between, yeah. especially between humans and, and Vulcans, Vulcans yeah. Right? Yeah. So they're both trying to um, establish themselves on the pedestal, yeah, trying to knock the other one down or yeah. bring them down a peg. Or whenever they compare a certain method or approach to do something, it's a battle of whose ways. Yeah, who's the best. better? Yeah. And as as soon as as soon, but the thing is, as soon as you can find that. Vulcans have, haven't done their jobs how they're supposed to, or he can criticize them immediately, takes the opportunity. Takes the opportunity. Yeah. But he's always got a funny little um, uh, sort of a, <clears throat> a neck. He kind of does it, <clears throat> excuse me, he kind of undercuts um, his, oh no, he kind of um, adds a little bit of spice or relish to whenever they get that one up. So yeah. he'll find his little way in where, oh, they made a mistake. But then he immediately say, "Well, good luck trying to get trying to tell them that they made a mistake, yeah. or good luck trying to get a reaction out of them." So, yeah. even when they find out they've got a bit of jam, they realize that well, it's not going to make much difference because the joy out of sort of winding someone up is to see them agitated. Yeah. But Vulcans, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and it was quite funny that, part, that, right, that at that scene, and when uh, yeah, just after that conversation happens, then the door. Opens rings, the doorbell rings, and and Tapal comes in, and and I said it, but I expected it to say to be in the script that for Trip to say, oh, speaking of the devil, because that would be such a line that he would have said, right? Yeah. But it didn't. There was no. it was not in the script, so yeah. Yeah. that was my. I guess maybe because yeah, well, they probably well, I guess it was kind of it was obvious that who was going to come yeah. through that door at that point in time as they were going for the <clears throat> the Vulcan star charts. Um, so. Yeah, so as Archer and Trip were saying, there's you know certain places that they haven't charted or they missed or they didn't put there on their charts on purpose. Yeah. And he finds a little planet in a system called Pajem. So Topol comes in, they start talking, he's like, oh, hey, Trip and I were kind of looking at the charts and we saw this place called Pajem. You want to check it out? It's not far from here. Um, I'm guessing it's a Vulcan place. Yeah. And he's right. Um, Topol is not so... 
enthusiastic, yeah, but then to whenever kind of give she, over the she, information. But yeah, you never know with her. Yeah. She's normally reserved and aloof as well. She's never are. been enthusiastic every time. In general, yeah, no matter so far, no matter what they find, she's yeah. the reserved and sort of yeah. aloof and cautious kind. But in this case. Um, it, Archer and Trip were kind of reacting to it because it seemed like, yes, it was a Vulcan place and she wasn't keen for them to go, which obviously made them even more yeah, enthusiastic yeah. to go. And it turns out that the gem is basically um, a holy place, I would say, yeah. with Vulcan's goal to perform, um, was it Kolonar? I think it was called Kolonar, yeah. which is, I guess, their purging, purging of, of emotions, emotions yeah. right? Where they go to kind of, I guess, let off some steam or eventually come to terms with meditate. facing all that yeah. suppression that they do meditate and sort of improve the way that they um, um, repress and um, succumb to um, the way they feel so that was quite interesting I think, I think the, the um, <clears throat> easiest way that we can compare it is to go when you go and go to a monastery like a, a monk monastery or like a Buddhist monastery yeah it's very or um, some kind of prayer meditation monastery where yeah, you just holy, basically a holy place or yeah, yeah a, a religious place in, in some way um, where yeah you would go it's so it's very respectful remote very remote you go there to be with your feelings be with the spirit if that's what you believe to be with your your gods or um, your, the deities that you believe in and yeah in this particular case, the Vulcans go there to fully purge um, their emotions and to come to, to face, uh, come face to face with them. And so, for Tapal, it's a very much um, a sacred place. Yeah. She doesn't think they should go, but Archer says we're going to go. So yeah. she explains about what it's, why it's there, and what it's for, and she gives them a bunch of rules yeah, about how to, behave. how to behave and how to and conduct yourself when you go there. Because yeah. um, it's got a very strict ritual about yeah. this place, you can't. Which speak. is actually very similar to how you would behave if you went to Asia and went to a Buddhist um, yeah. temple. Like how it's you exactly would, the same rules. Yeah, yeah. So they're probably pretty much the same <clears throat> as if you go to any sort of holy place. Them, yeah, it's not a place. Yeah, very much a place where you keep quiet, just observe, meditate for yourself. Pray for yourself, breathe, don't, take don't, your time. Don't speak unless you're spoken to. Don't speak unless you're spoken to. Don't make any no, no sudden moves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no twerking, nothing like that. You just go there to. Oh my gosh, she's definitely not twerking. To be, to be with, to be one, and to be present, and to um, elevate your consciousness, I guess. Yeah. So she kind of gives them all the rules, and so the last few episodes, we've been struggling to figure out the language situation in terms of when they yeah. meet an alien um, species, everyone's sort of speaking English. And as far as we've seen, the only technical translating equipment is with Oshi. Hoshi. And we're not even sure. Now, I'm, we think it's runs throughout the ship, the NX-01 Enterprise, in terms of translating if anything comes through, maybe, on when they hail somebody. Yeah. And obviously between them, they, they speak English. But whenever they go down and they come across another species, they everyone's speaking English. So we're not sure what's going on there still. Now, before they go down to um, Pajem, we see Tapal give um, Archer and Trip. We now know them as communicators, but they are communicators. Well, we thought they were um, the translators because mm. they put them in the sleeve of their jackets and yeah it turns out they actually they were just the communicators so we're still trying to figure out if 
translators is something that we've missed that mm. they all have them something or they're built into their Star Trek, Starfleet uniforms we're still not sure just let us know or is it just something where you have to suspend your disbelief and just accept that they're, they're communicating in some way so just let us know if we've still missed something out there so they go down um, and uh, when they approach the temple the yeah. door is damaged um, it looks like it's kind of been broken almost and the um, archer is already suspicious about something and trip but to Paul she kind of passes it off as well you know this place is what 3,000 3, years old, years old so yes. you can't expect it's going to be in some sort of disrepair but it's clear from the looks of it it looks like it's been sort of broken in yeah someone's kind of tried to bash their way inside yeah. oh so there is a cold open where it, it, where you see who the perpetrators are of this it kind of opens with yeah. the Andorians of the Andorian Instant episode yeah but they obviously don't know that. So they go inside and they expect to see a few of the elders um, the meditating and praying yeah. and what have you, observing the rites of Colina. And in the atrium, that's right. And there's only one one elder guy there who's yeah. sort of standing there, standing. keeping watch, I guess. And, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say much, which is fine. You know, they expected that. Yeah. So Paul goes over to speak to him. They have a whisper, they have yeah. some sort of communication. And then she explains, oh, you know, you guys kind of missed the whole thing. You, yeah. Everyone needs to kind of observe silence throughout the lunar cycle, you know, and yeah. things going down. But kind of this is it. But it's a bit strange because normally there should be more than one person standing there. Yeah. And also the place looks like a wreck. Yeah. Like it's they kind start of noticing little details. Little details. Some there's, things are broken. Some things are broken. Um, there's sort of... The statues that... An oddly placed statue, yeah. which Trip makes a funny comment. He's like, maybe we should call Starfleet. So <laughs> Trip was being um, flippant again, as usual. But there's these little things that don't look right to T'Pol, for sure. And then Archer kind of picks up on her sort of worry and, yeah. and apprehension about what's going on. Yeah. So he starts sort of um, bullshitting about, oh, the greatest place or the greatest temple, the biggest temple I've seen was in Tibet. Yeah. And he starts going on and he's walking around. He's kind of um, checking the space out, trying to find out what's going on. Because something, now he's realizing, yes, something is not quite right. This place doesn't seem Vulcan in many ways. It's untidy and messy and unorganized. Yeah, not not something that they would have expected by the the description. By the description that Topol was giving. And the monk who's there, he kind of picks up on their sort of feelings yeah. of the stakeout. And he's like, oh, excuse us for the mess. For the mess. But whenever some of the monks, uh, the people that come to pray, the purging. purging their emotions, yeah. they kind of come face to face and they let things out. And sometimes it can, violence can happen. Mm. And Archer's like, that's odd. That's very kind of yeah. odd. And as he's kind of sort of stalking the place he notices a figure behind sort of a screen yeah like a screen there's like a screen there and um, he notices a figure behind it and then we see that it's one of the Andorans they're they're blue aliens with sort of these tendrils tentacles on the top of their head very classic 50s 60s sci-fi sci-fi look to them Um, very OG Star Trek um, TOS and Trip and Archer they kind of you know smash down the screen take this guy out but then another three of them, the Andorians, Coming appear from, with from nowhere with, yeah. with um, phaser rifles and take them away. So um turns out that the Andorians are neighbours, are neighbouring systems with the Vulcans, and yeah. they've had an ongoing 
battle rivalry for years. Yeah, they've got basically... Vulcans don't make many friends. Yeah, they, they don't. <laughs> um, they basically, there is a treaty into place between, between them. Uh, between the two of them, that's but, right. But uh, the, the, the monk there says that uh, there are factions or there are you know people from the Andorians that despite this treaty, they just keep... Uh, you know they're ignoring it and they they, they have a very volatile and uh, what's the other word it says volatile uh, um and um i can't remember what else is essentially they as, don't believe what they've been told basically. no and it's usually yeah. as usual the vulcans the endorians core sort of beef with them is that they the vulcans see endorians as you know a inferior yeah sort of species and they are Essentially, um, envious of our technology, our yeah. higher intellect, etc. You know the usual. Yeah, we're better than everyone else, and so they're against a... us because they, you know, they, they, they're. Uh, what's the word that? Uh, oh, I can't think of the word. It's the usual. Envious, yeah, right? They're yeah. envious of us. Yeah. That's the usual. The usual conflict that yeah. Vulcans end up getting involved with boils down to. People being jealous of their yeah. superior intellect, technology, um, yeah. ability, self-control, etc., etc. So, being a neighbouring system to the Vulcans, the Andorans are, I guess, Andorians are having issues with them in that in yeah. that regards. And yeah, this has gone been going on for years. And for them, they suspect that the sanctuary suspicious. Yeah, that was the that description. The volatile and yeah. suspicious. Volatile. Um, they yeah. they are um, suspicious and concerned that the sanctuary is not just a sanctuary. They believe yeah. that there's some something kind lying. of sensor, long range sensor yeah. array, or something that's spying on them essentially. Mm. But as of now, they found no evidence or proof of this. And to be fair, there isn't any. Right? It's just a yeah. A sanctuary, very old and then he says, sanctuary. And then he says to, to Archer, I mean, the monk says, you know, they normally come and they do their search and they don't find anything, so within the day they leave. But now because the this um, earth people are here, these humans, now it's pink, becoming... Pink skins. Pink skins, pink yeah. Pink skins, yeah. <laughs> that was the slur, the racial slur yeah. that the Andorians gave the humans of Federation. Yeah. Pink skin. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's that was, trick. Yeah. These little sort of um, biases and prejudices and slurs that people come up with. Spoonheads for um, Cardassians. For Cardassians, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So pink skins, yeah. Yeah. They, um, so, but because they're there now, so they, they obviously raised even more suspicion, um, which is just like a, obviously a coincidence. But yeah, because they don't. It's okay, so. Th- I don't think they've met humans before. They've maybe heard yeah, of them, never, but yeah. they haven't really run into any of them. So obviously, the Federation come, and they immediately don't like the fact. Are you right there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they immediately don't. Like, Michaela was drinking some water and she missed her mouth. Mm-hmm. So they don't like the fact that Archer and Trip have a Vulcan science officer. So one, they're suspicious already, and now they see that there's a Vulcan officer amongst the Federation. So they're really not happy and yeah. it just kind of feeds into their whole um, paranoia about something happening at this sanctuary that they're not being told about yeah so um, they take um, Archer away they separate because he's the captain I assume so they separate him away from the others and they Interrogate give him, him a, a beating yeah to find out what is going on because you know they've been searching they can't find anything and Vulcans aren't saying anything 
and they give him a beating to you know to find out what is happening, what's going on, what do you know, where is this long range sensor that we think is here, and obviously Archer doesn't know, has no clue. So they give him a beating and they send him back to the room. Um, and while he's there, he explains to the Vulcans, look, they think there's something here and they're not going to buy the fact anymore that there isn't anything here and this is just a sanctuary, so what's going on? And then one of the, the elders, he does a Batman. He kind of has got this uh, jagged-looking um, small ornament on top of a, one of the plinths, one of the shelves in the in the room that they're locked in. Yeah, and he does before, a, before, sorry, before you say that... Um, we this whole situation happens because the Andorian, uh, when they were in, in interrogating Archer, they also discovers uh, discover about the the communicators and and it's because they you know they're ailing from the ship from Enterprise. So um, he responds and he uh, to one of to uh, who is it uh, Reed. And Reed was uh, was trying to contact Archer and says, "No, you know, it's, it's, we have him. Um, don't contact the ship. Don't come down, or we're, we're gonna kill you. We're gonna kill the hostages." And so he proceeds to destroy all these the three communicators mm. from the uh, Enterprise crew. Um, so that's when then Archer, when he returns to the room and he's beaten up and everything, then he let other people know and said, "We have no way to let." Um, Reed know and knowing him he's gonna come down with the whole army you know yeah because that was one of our logical points like you know why don't they beam out yeah beam them out of there and we know at the moment no one trusts the transporter um, technology but then we were thinking but then uh, they kind of obviously they knew that the audience would be asking that question because at some point in the show um T'Pol gives the reasons why they can't beam out because it's going to make noise, it's going to alert the Andorans, they've got the weapons and we don't, yeah. and they'll kill us in a close, you know, firing weapons in a closed quarters is going to be a disaster. So it's not really a good and, enough. Yeah, good enough but excuse. It's, because at the end of the day, then later on, they do beam people back yeah. down, I mean, from the ship to the. So why couldn't have they done it? Maybe they can't do more than X amount, and there was too many people without. A, they couldn't have beamed everybody at once or in, in, in a set of two or something like this? Maybe. And also, I'm not sure if the communicators, because they lock on... Is it that they need the communicators as well, as, part, mm. as, as well as the, the person to lock yeah, onto them, to, to beam them? So they were smashed, so they couldn't technically get them out at that point. Um, or even before that, they wouldn't have beamed them out because we, they hadn't... Yeah. Spoken in the script about why they couldn't do it. Yeah. It was just wasn't and, something they thought of. And it's only at then that they point get, that they get, they get told that yeah. there is might be some way to communicate with the with the starship. Yes. And yeah. Arch is like, but you told us there was not technology. No technology here. here. So it's already it's already yeah. like the hint of these people are not really telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So communicators are smashed. And how are we going to get out of here? The um, plot thread comes up, and then yeah, it's revealed that well, there could be a way. We have this yeah. older transmitter that could yeah. probably be fixed. We don't know if it's working. Yeah. So trip is like well, there's not. I have mean, a radio that I haven't been able to fix. Yeah. So yeah, as you were saying, it kind of raises a suspicion just a little bit. Yeah. Just a notch, because now all of a sudden there is technology, um, and that is when I was saying yeah, there's a lot sort of a Batman secret 
contraption where they twist the kind of uh, they twist this ornament and it opens up a door and they kind of go down into a uh, sort of raids of the lost art catacombs yeah and they make their way make their way through there um and while they're going through there um trip goes down there um there's two Two, two important plot points at this part. So he sees um, a corridor, with, a corridor with some three lights, with these lights, very sort of specifically, like two, almost like a face. There's, there's yeah. two eyes, let's say, and there's light pouring through like them. Like a triangle, almost like a, a mouth. Yeah, yeah, two eyes and a mouth. It's like, okay, but that seems odd. And then there's a sort of a section off down a path, and um, but he's told by one of the the Vulcan monks that you can't go yeah, down there. Yeah, it's a too holy. It's a reliquary. Yeah. We have our most sacred um, relics down yeah. there. So he's like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, Takes him to the radio, he starts fixing it. Yeah, they grab the radio, they go back, they start fixing it, and it looks like it can work because they contact... Yeah, they're able to communicate. Communicate with the ship um, and explain what's what's happening, you know, can't beam us out right now it's going to cause some issue but gives him some orders of what to do when the time comes basically so Reed sort of prepares that and then um, I think that's when Trip mentions to so they still got to find a way to kind of once even if the guys come down from the ship how they're going to get back out because it's yeah. they can't beam everybody out like Michaela was saying there's not enough communicators or the technology is not right or whatever it may However be reason, yeah. there's just no way that everyone can sort of beam out so they need to think of a way out of there once they get in and it goes back to those so those three lights that trip saw down in the catacombs archer recalls that they match a kind of face um sort of sculpture or structure on the wall in the interrogation room no 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 in the atrium in the atrium where they first where came they in. first came in and um because they were they basically um, figuring out the map of the mm. of the uh, building of the temple. They're working out the layout of the temple. Yeah. So um, when when Trip mentioned these three lights that he saw, because he it's just it's just a, like a, a wall type of thing on the on the inside from the catacombs. Uh, the face is on on the, this statue on the outside. So he just sees and said, oh, so these three lights and. They're saying, uh, well, that corridor seems like he's leading to the atrium. That's when Archer does the connection that it's possibly this face because he saw the holes for the eyes and the mouth. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how they make the connection. And that's, there's only one way to test if they're correct. So, Archer uh, or someone, they start calling the Andorian. Um, to say I've got something to tell you, you know, but it's really just a ploy yeah, to get he, out of he, the room and get back to the atrium. To yeah, he does a he does a nice ruse where um, he calls the Andorian guards to kind of, and he's like, you know, I've got something important to tell you, as if to say he's found out some information that they're looking for. But yeah, he obviously doesn't want to say it in front of the Vulcan, so they take him back in the room, and it's just a ruse for him to test where these. Lights that trips or the and he, and he discovers that they're the holes mm. of a face structure in the atrium. But where does it lead to in regards to the catacombs that's underneath them? So he gets to the atrium and he starts talking around and giving him a, taking him on a wild goose chase about some different stories and um, working his way basically to this face, getting like, beaten. Getting beaten and punched <laughs> as he kind of buys himself Rolling. time. Eventually, he gets to this face, pulls out a little um, 
statuette, jade statue, little tiny jade figure, and throws it into the the mouthpiece of this structure, and it drops down. And then later, Trip comes out from the room through the secret Batman entrance and finds the structure. And then they realize technically where they are in regards to the layout of the atrium. Yeah. And it's essentially their light at the end of the tunnel, as he, yeah. as he, as he mentioned. Um, so that basically is going to help them with their plan because it would be that the guys from the ship, Reed, will come down with weapons and back up. They'll do some sort of Federation maneuvers and escape through the tunnel out into the atrium. So um, they, they come down and they land down. And this is where we had a little bit of some sort of logical points in terms yeah. of the, how they sort of um, get away from these guys. Because there's only four of these Andorians. Yeah. And there's way more of... Now, to be fair, the monks, the monks are, are pacifists. Yeah, you, you so can't count they, them. You can't really count them. Tapal, she may have done something if push came to shove, but... They couldn't count her really either because she was with her elders and she's yeah, but the same trying time, to respect the 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 um, sanctity of the, yeah of the of the temple. The temple, but at the same time, when Archer asks, she said, "Have I ever not obeyed your orders?" So, right. Yeah. Uh, she she kind of implied that if you're gonna order me to, you know, defend and attack, I will use violence. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so. So, but yeah, but she was like a 50 50. You couldn't, you can't be 100% sure she might have been under hesitant or something, right? Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a guarantee that she yeah, was gonna yeah. do any, get, in, get her hands dirty basically if it, if it came to that. Um, but then when the three guys come in, so that's three plus two, yeah. five against four, right? Yeah. So we were saying, the kind of issues that we were discussing like why couldn't they just take them without doing much fuss yeah well so they they so Tapal briefly mentioned you know just beaming's not going to work transporting people in and out won't work because it's going to raise the alarm in terms of noise and um, there won't be enough time to get people out or to safety before firing starts and people die yeah which is fair enough and they kind of show that because when eventually, so they have their plan, so basically Reed and the team will beam down quickly into the, um, to in, uh, into the room where they're being locked up, basically. And as soon as they do that, they'll open the Batman entrance and get them down into the catacombs to yeah. plant charges where the face is to, to blow through into the atrium, which is what they do. But immediately when they do that, um, on, the, on the sensors of the Andorians, they sent, uh, it tells them that there was an energy surge, so they knew yeah. that something was happening. They go to the room and obviously everyone's acting coy as if nothing's going on at all. And they're like, oh no, no, something did happen. There was an energy surge and I detect, we detect three more life signs, yeah. but we don't know where they are. So I can understand what Tapal was saying in regards to the beaming, but it worked in the end, ultimately. Yeah, they it had, worked, they had a exactly. Decent, they had a decent plan. Um, so, But then the thing is, so they leave one person, one on the Andorian, in, in the room to, you know, to guard them. And this is like we were saying, I don't understand. There's, there's Trip and Archer in their room and he's giving their shoulder because he's talking to Tapal. He's kind of flirting in a very disgusting way, if I can, if I can say, uh, with her. And um, so he's giving his, in his back to this... Uh, two other guys they could have easily take him out 
Yeah, that, so yeah, so there's there's only yeah. four of these Endorians here. Fair enough, they have weapons, and you know who knows, but there's only four of them, and there's way more of the other guys. Even if we don't count um, the the Elder Vulcans, we're pretty sure that the Federation could have handled. Yeah. Could have handled the situation. At least that one guy in the room. Yeah, because they so once they sense this energy surge, they burst into the room, but nothing's kind of happening, right? Because the ready team from the ship have gone through the secret entrance and are down in the caves planting the charges. So when your Dorans come in, they just see everyone standing around being quiet as if nothing happened. So they leave one in there with a weapon and the others go out to kind of see what's going on. And we were like, now hang on a second, this is one guy with a weapon. Yeah. Fair enough he has a weapon, but there's if you trip, Archer and Tapal was there and at that point she might have done something. Know, so, but she was talking to him. There's two right? or three, or even before that. Oh, if you think yeah. of them just numbers, there's two to three. Yeah. At least two to one, at yeah. least. Maybe three, if we, inc- if we include Tapal. So yeah, this guy, he's I think it was Keeble, one of I think he might his name Cabal. might have been Cabal. I think it was him. Um, yeah. Anyway, one of them. But he is, he's liked Tapal from the second that she's come down there. And um, it's quite funny, actually, because with the Vulcan, there's a running joke throughout this episode about the smell of humans yeah. for a Vulcan, because they have heightened sense of smell, especially the women. Yeah. Heightened sense of smell. But she's, t- she's taken a, num- a nasal numbing agent. <laughs> Which we didn't know until now. This Which is we didn't know. So she's been using that to kind of. Every 24 hours. To kind of subdue and suppress the smell yeah. for her, so she can bear, yeah. she, so she can handle um, living and being around the humans, which is quite funny. And I think one of the Andorians kind of picks up on that because he he's, he says um, normally in a sort of reversal of the smells that different species give off. Mm. He says normally Vulcans smell like dust. Yeah. But you smell different, yeah. which is quite interesting. I'm assuming maybe she's picked up. Pheromones of the, yeah. of the of the humans, basically. So her her scent, her musk is slightly different than a traditional Vulcan, yeah. uh, or a Vulcan that's around than uh, other Vulcans um, would normally sort of have smell like. So that was quite interesting, sort of reversal there. So why he's kind of um, obsessed, obsessing over Tapal. His yeah. back is turned, like really yeah. poor guard. His back is turned to. Trip and Archer. Yeah. So eventually they, they could have, have do a headlock. They, they kind of overpower him, but we were thinking that should have happened ages ago. Yeah. Because even if the Vulcans weren't going to be interested in violence in terms of sort of shooting or hitting him with a rock, there's they all have the Vulcan pinch, right? That takes exactly. people out. And exactly. And there's about four or five of these guys more, and they're all high level Vulcans. So I'm sure they would have. Easily yeah. taking him out with a Vulcan pinch. They had plenty of opportunity to do that, but that didn't happen. So we were like, this doesn't quite make sense. So eventually, Trip kind of jumps on his back, and usual Star Trek thing where they're never quite in control of the situation. He That's gets thing taken out pretty quickly. Um, Archer eventually fights him, and they cut away to the charges being planted by Trip, uh, mm. sorry, Reed and the team, and they make their way inside and then we cut back and they're still fighting on the ground with this guy um, Archer and yeah so one thing that really irritates me it's funny at times but it really irritates me that not in every single Star Trek 
uh, franchise series, they they just can't fight, and it's like so unrealistic. No, they have the federation. We call it federation. Yeah, federation moves, but they have the federation maneuvers, the training that they give them, which is the classic, you know, elbows and that joint double axe handle to the to the gut, and then you come up or you come down with the back. Everyone, you know, you you know know, the the, the moves. Um, but they're not very good, and maybe also maybe they came later because they maybe yeah. So that we haven't we haven't right. seen any um, sort of maneuvers here. Um, but also the way, and, and not in this particular Star Trek yet, although we might see it. But a lot of the times, what annoys us as well is one: there's never any seatbelts on the ships. <laughs> We've been crying out for that, and two: um, a lot of the time, people just beam themselves right onto the bridge. Yeah, security is whack. Like the security is poor, <laughs> really poor. Yeah. Like they just beam down. I mean, okay, fair enough. Sometimes it's a high-level combatant, so it's normally a Klingon. Um, Jemadar has done it a few times. Borg always do it. So yeah, it's normally a, 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 a major superior, character yeah. of some sort who's. So. But even so, you would imagine they would upgrade the security in some way. Yeah. Like okay, maybe we can't always stop, but the minute someone breaks the it should just put an immediate you know they have those little force fields that they can place around yeah. a specific point but even like uh, in this case or people like freely a, scan the ships like across yeah but even like in this case of one-to-one combat like in this episode it just proves again it's so unrealistic that two men they immediately get, get bruised and they got the bruises they're all red in their face like trip got just whacked once, right? He got punched once from this guy or, or some, something like this. <laughs> and I read his face went like bruised and he's it they like they take one pound one punch and they're out. Yeah. It's just like that's it's not too convenient. Happen. I mean yeah. it's just convenient for the story, right? To drag it a little bit. But yeah, I should write it another way. At least if he gets, if if he needs to be down for a little bit, at least give him a proper whack. Like he's either gonna exactly, no, I just uh, be hit, so you feel that he's out, and not maybe okay. use it as something like you break a chair on his head yeah. or something. You know, I understand he the, <laughs> he did get, I mean, it's a pistol whipped, right? He got he got he did get pistol whipped, but in it's just that he wakes up conveniently after it happens, so he's either should be out cold. Yeah. Or it's a hit where it's enough that you can understand that he could have fought back a bit to help. But even so, they like... Because you know they're going to get out of it anyway. Yeah. So at least if that hit... Okay, took him down for just a second, and then we see him kind of shake it off, get back, and then come back to fight. Because then you understand, okay. But listen to but this. But he's going to get pistol whipped. He should be out cold then. Imagine that was you and me instead of Archer and, and Trip. And this man is, you know, giving our back... What would you do? Like, you've seen it in movies a thousand times. You do a, a, a neck lock, like a headlock, right? On one, and the other person go and punch him in his ribs or something. That's that's what happens. Mm. Th- this is... Uh, and I'm like, there's two of them. They're both qualified. You know, they've been through the academy and everything. How can they not, you know, incapacitate one single individual? It's just, like, beyond me. Stuff like that is like really get on my nerves. Yeah, that's the they're the little things you have to kind of. But we know it, and we're not even military people. You know, we're not this kind of, you know, uh, like them that they would have gotten gone through some training, some physical action training, and some uh, fight and that sort of thing. So we're just like two regular people. We know what we would have to do. So how is it possible that these people don't know how to take down one person? You wouldn't mind if. 
the tactical training where they try to do it and you kind of you see their plan now if it's done properly and it's just this one person it should work but if it didn't for whatever reason if there's some sort of clear tactical plan that they've done and it doesn't work okay it yeah. didn't quite work but you but when at least they, there is something right yeah, yeah but when they perform it in star trek you think to yourself yeah. this is sloppy like it's yeah. something that civilians would do yeah as opposed to and even probably civilians would do it better <laughs> yeah uh, fair enough i mean they're explorers i guess ultimately federation it's but not still. like section 31 or something so no but still inter- or starfleet intelligence but so their training goes only so far but yeah they I think, have a certain level because yeah. obviously they're exploring and they're going to come across things there. I would imagine. I would imagine that if, going by the philosophy of of uh, the Academy of Starfleet, you would f- we you would follow some kind of physical training like martial arts, right? Maybe you do karate. Oh, they definitely do. They definitely right. Training. So so they do the kind of training where you're not supposed to arm your enemy, but you you're just supposed to incapacitate him, like lots of martial arts. Um, that's their philosophy. Yeah. But they proving that they can't even incapacitate anyone. <laughs> they just get in. No, but it's always convenient. They do lots of times when it's convenient for that plot. Point, yeah, exactly. It's, it's whenever they can, they do it, and it's a, there's a reason for it plot-wise because it's convenient, which is very annoying. Yeah. yeah. You've got to be clever, a bit smart in that in that regard in the writing. Like, if you know that at this point, these the, what they're up against, these antagonists are can outmatch Federation, fine. But we need to yeah. see how... Because then it makes their adversaries even more frightening. It, even though you know that they're going to get out of things, but it just gives you that little bit of jeopardy or, I'm not sure, one of them might get taken out here. Because if you see the Federation doing their thing and their training, and we've seen it, let's say you set it up in a few episodes before mm. of how precise it is, how effective it is, yeah. and then they come into a situation where they meet a new combatant, a new adversary, and they do their thing, and we're thinking, oh, they're going to be no match, and then they get overpowered or taken out by these yeah. people. Or it's more acceptable, yeah. Then you think, oh, damn, right, these guys are not to be played with. Because you've already set up that this is the training that Federation people get, and it's very effective. But yeah. then you come up against these people, and you're like, whoa. Then you can understand, right? But, yes, yeah, it's, it's just convenient. Whenever they, it, it works for the plot that these they can handle their thing, it works. But when they need them to be subdued, to stop, to drag out the plot, to give them these obstacles to go through, then it suddenly falls apart. Yeah. Which is annoying. Got to be a bit smarter than that. But this is ongoing with Star Trek. This just this happens all the time. But yeah, it would be nicer to for them to kind of not do that so often because it's it's hard to suspend your disbelief when you know we already know what's going to happen and who's going to survive. But give us something to kind of give us a little bit of tension and a bit of yeah. You know, sort of bit of anxiety, so it makes it just a little bit more enjoyable. So going back to the story, the they blow up this this uh, the face, uh, Reed and the other two from the Enterprise. They blow up the face from inside the catacombs. Yeah. They uh, one of the Andorian is taken out by the explosion. So they're basically then fighting the other two. And immediately, one of the guys who came down gets shot by the phaser, yeah. as usual. Again, as usual, so doesn't take out. cover. Yeah. Just stands there and gets Because hit. also they had their phases on stun, whilst the opposite the others didn't. No, and he survived that guy, the one who gets hit anyway, because yeah. Reed says, Are you right? And he's like, I'll defend from here. Yeah. The two Andorians, they jump back into the hole, back into the catacombs, basically, where yeah. where Reed came out of. He fires and he misses the usual mm-hmm. poor aim. 
Yeah. So they give chase, and the guys from the room the where they're locked in. Room, yeah. So everyone's basically on the run, going through the catacombs. Yeah. And of course, they've already set up the reliquary room yeah, that, that you, you can't go in. into, which looks like Cerebro from the X Men, by the way. So it's like a big yeah. round door with an X on it. And it, yeah, it looks like something. It looks like Cerebro from X Men, basically. <laughs> and it, it's exactly like that in, in so many ways. So anyway, they get to this room, so you know, this is the place where you can't go, which they mentioned earlier. And you know, for a fact, the plot's gonna. This is the only way out now, basically. Yeah. The door opens, and it turns out it wasn't just a sanctuary. Inside is the big ass. Long range looks, sensor array. It looks something from Doctor Evil. From no, yeah, Doctor Evil or uh, from Man in Black. Or Man in Black. Man in Black. So basically, this little round door, like a Hobbit cerebro door, opens up to this massive, hollowed-out volcano-looking cavern. Yeah. And this massive, but with sensor, high technology. Long, yeah, it's people in their white. Uh, yeah, it's a full-on secret sensor operation. array where they've been using to spy. On it's MK Ultra, what's this Vulcan Vashar, the Vashar, the Vulcan yeah. secret military? So the Andorians were right, yeah. and the monks weren't even monks. I think they were secret intel- Vulcan um, security intelligence. I think because they the, all along they the were like, we're guy, not going to fight, we're not yeah. going to fight. And then one of the monks he picks up a weapon and he's like, you know, we need to defend what's ours. Yeah. And it turns out that I don't think he was an actual monk, or he was, but he would mm. not hesitate to. Yeah. kill someone to protect the secret of this sensor array so yeah it did turn out the Andorans were right they were absolutely right the Vulcans had broken the treaty and were spying yeah which pissed off to Paul because she was embarrassed because yeah she, it's the first time that actually I saw we she, saw like some kind of although she was still normal but you could feel her embarrassment right yeah she was she was disappointed as well yeah. by what she had seen and she had to eat the humble pie because yeah. The Vulcans were in the wrong. In the they wrong were, they for were the spying. first time, yeah. probably unmasked. They were spying, so yeah, it turns out. And um, Archer yeah. um, says the Endorians are right. He, you know, he sides with them. Yeah. And, and he makes, and when they ask him to leave, because they, they, they were, the Endorians are scared as, yeah, but you're going to try to stop us. Yeah, the Endorians are still worried yeah. that Enterprise will shoot, them, shoot them down once they try to leave the system. Um, and Archer makes T'Pol give the order yeah. to the ship that the Andorians are leaving them, they're free to go. Yeah. So it ends, I'm assuming the Andorians are going to immediately go to the high command, the Vulcan high command, and like, na 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 na, we <laughs> told you, you've been spying, now what are you going to do? They're going to rub it in their faces for sure. I'm like, cause um, a war. Because maybe. Um, but then we were saying, we've seen Andorians later in other series, right? Yeah, because that, here's the thing. So Here, it, it here's the out. thing, though. Um, before it, it works out, the uh, the guy, the Andorian guy, tells Archer, "We, we you know, we owe you. We're in your debt." Yes. So I said to you at the time, I said, "Oh, I wonder if this is, how, you know, this is the beginning of a future friendship." Because I do remember seeing Andorians in, um, you know. I don't know, I might be mistaken, but I think they are later in Starfleet. Just see them around and, um, you know? Mm. Um. So, it could well be that they started as kind of enemies, or not enemies, but like, you know, a little bit of argumentation. Uh, maybe. This, but then maybe they come 
uh, they become friends. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. I guess. I can't remember if we've seen Andorians later on in. Let me just have a quick look. In Starfleet, or in sorry, other Star Trek episodes later on, but um, yes, uh, or are they in the original? Yeah, I think they're in the OG series, right? Um, but anything after that, I can't remember. But um, they were, yeah, it was fun. That was uh, they were fun to to hang out with you know, the Andorians. Um, the Interesting. So, episode MVP would have to be definitely um, the lead Andorian, um, who was um, what's his name? Um, Are we definitely going to see more of them? Tylek or Thylek Shran, which is played by Jeffrey Coombs, the great Jeffrey Coombs, who plays Wayun. Yeah, that's where I saw him. I kept, oh, you see, you're so cheeky. Because I told you, why do I know this face? <laughs> and you never tell me. Ever. Guys, I swear to you, every time I see something on TV, and I, I, I recognize the face, but obviously, like in this case, the guy has got different makeup. and um, But not just in Star Trek, just in general. I recognize the face and I said to Jason, oh, where do I know this guy? What other TV series? And he never, he probably enjoys... Because I want you to... Go and find for yourself. But I enjoy oh. it. I enjoy that no, you have to suffer. No, you but enjoy you the suffering. Find yeah. out for yourself because then you always remember it once you, once it sinks in who it is. You're like, ah, oh, I knew it, and then it stays with you. So um, yeah, but yeah, it was great to see him again, and he's been other characters in Star Trek as well. But he's definitely known as Wayun. Yeah, Wayun. Multiple yeah. Wayuns because they're yeah, multi- um, exactly. they're clones in in Deep Space Nine. So spoilers, sorry, Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah, so that was great to see him as the um, leading leader of the Andorian contingent. Yeah, they were in the original. Yeah, so also series, original series. Yeah. They look, they got that look right. So yeah, um, yeah they are definitely from the original series. Um, yeah, so episode MVP for sure, Jeffrey Coombs. Um, he was directed now. He's directed by Roxanne Dawson, who is um, again, I guess, directing legend um lost house of cards treme this is us mm-hmm. um i think the americans she is yeah one of the best um directors um television directors um out there she's she's amazing so roxanne dawson and there was some nice pov shots that she you can always tell when there's a director because obviously there's a format and a style of the show that mm. has to be um, has to be um, that structured, so you have to kind of sort of conform to it because there's a, um, a continue con- continuity that they need to stick to for the rest of the show. Certain look, um, the show bible they call it. Mm. But every so often, there's a director who just puts in a little something just to let you know. And it wasn't a big thing in this, but when um, the Andorian Jeffrey Coombs was um, torturing or torturing, he was kind of beating. Archer to get some information out of him. There were some nice POV shots of sort of Dutch angles mm. when he was looking around the room after he was, you know, his head was rattled. And there's one specific shot where he was looking at this uh, face, the three lights face that Trip had found. And you don't think anything of it then, but later on it turns out that that's a key plot point. But yeah, just nice little touches like that. Um, Roxanne Dawson, um, wonderful, wonderful director, one of the best. And it was written by Fred Decker, who um, Monster Squad, Robocop 3, The Predator, 2018's The Predator, um, another um, geek um, favourite, Fred Decker. So two, two interesting um, creatives in, involved with this episode, so that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and best line of the show for me was, 
departure to the Vulcan monks when he was trying to come up with a plan which involved violence, I guess, and they weren't too happy. And he says, so if anyone has a suggestion, I'm all ears. No offence. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, so, yeah, that was my best line of the show. Um, what else have you got? Something? Um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to double-check. So I was correct The uh, that this is sort of the beginning of the first meet between humans and, and Andorians, but then there is a friendship developing. So just... Uh, um, Picking up from Memory Alpha fandom uh, website, just uh, it says that the Andorian were a, a warp-capable humanoid species from the moon Andoria, and uh, in located in the Alpha quadrant, quadrant. And in 2161, their homeworld became a founding member of the Un- United Federation of Planets. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, they, so because uh, I do remember seeing them always like remember, in the background. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I, when, Whenever there is original a, series, I remember them clearly yeah. as you know as a species of the week type thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure we might have seen them in the background of other series later on. Yeah. Yeah. Just especially when it has anything to do with Starfleet, you know, the part yeah. of the cruise or something like this. Yeah. yeah. Walking in the corridors somewhere. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. And so I guess it's this time to rate it now I think yeah. um, in terms of the rating so on Riser and Shine we have a very simple rating system here 1 to 5 pips every episode we rate has to be from 1 to 5 pips and each pip is aligned with a ranking within Starfleet so if it's an ensign it's 1 pip lieutenant 2 pips commander 3 pips captain 4 pips and admiral 5 pips so for episode 7 the Andorian incident what would you give the rating? I think I give it a three. Three pips, commander. Yeah, because um, although you know there are the points that we highlighted earlier in the one-to-one combat and uh, some things that we perhaps there's some yeah sloppy, minus yeah logic logistical things that yeah overall I think I still enjoyed like I said the other day I always rate higher any episode that happens outside the ship. Um, just because I like to a change of settings. You remember last time we were yeah. talking about oh, being quite lazy with the settings. Ninety percent of this yeah, the sets. episode was off ship, right? Yeah. yeah, it only kind of went back to read. He was the worried bridge, about yeah. um, where the team was, why they weren't checking in, and then when he had to formulate a plan with the team to come down. Yeah, there was hardly anything on the ship. Yeah. So and because of course, so because of because of the um, um, and then we know later on in the sort of the history of um, uh, Star Trek this actual this place is quite an important one, um, but this was the first visit of the Star Trek crew. So mm. um, yeah, just like little bit of everything. I think it's a three is, is is fair. Okay, I would give it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I give it. I'll give it a three pips, Commander. Yeah. Um, I wasn't give it a two, but again, Jeffrey Coombs <laughs> saved the day. Saved. Just seeing him was fun. Um, I love that alien. I love that very. That look is such a classic Cold War look, uh, interpretation yeah. of aliens. Um, but at the same, I love you that. know, like those antennas, they kind of remind me of the tentacles of Saru. Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> kind of. I mean, they don't look they don't, like that. It, yeah, no, they don't look the same. They're in the front of the, of the face instead of the, the function back. of them, I guess. And but the, they in still terms of the, maybe the way they work. 
or I have, essence. Yeah. Um, Saru from they Star just, Trek Discovery. Yeah, um, but yeah. I just but it's very interesting because in the original series, here's a picture like uh, for guys. I'm I'm still looking at the uh, um, the Memory Alpha fandom website, which has got a picture of the from the original series, and you see how the antennas instead are kind of in the towards the back of the head, yeah. top 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 of the head still, but uh, towards the back, more like uh, horns. Even yeah. this one, yeah. whereas um, right in this new version of Andorians, they're very much on the front, mm. you know, on the forehead. Um, so, yeah, but I think they do use them. They have purpose, and they they use them somehow. Mm. Um, okay, okay. Um, all right, so three pips each. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, over half. So yeah, not. Quite enjoyable. Um, nice to be off off ship, and a nice little twist, which was obvious. But yeah, the um, the Vulcan secret um, spying rig that they found was was interesting, and it was very high tech and very advanced. So it yeah. probably scared Archer more, yeah. Trip more than the Andorians, because they've been dealing was, with this was very for, upset. For, for years. But when he saw what was going on, I think he was, he was very upset. No. They already don't trust the Vulcans, right? Yeah. And then for him, this was real betrayal. I think he was betrayed. He felt betrayed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was more. It I think was betrayed. more betrayed. It was because it was being made look like a fool. He yeah. felt like a fool yeah, because he it really trusted them. That yeah. you and the Andorians you. were not surprised, right? So yeah. that was interesting. Um, okay, so I guess we can wrap it up. Yeah. yeah, I think that's it. That's that's it. That's our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening. This was a different one for us, and this is our longest podcast. And this yeah. is the one where we didn't really follow sort of follow the plot as we normally do. We just kind of freestyle it. So um, thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, if you like how we do, we'll try another episode like this as well and see how it goes. If you think you prefer it this way, where we just kind of riff on what we thought and just kind of let the memories come back to us as we go then let us know um, and um, you can and if you think that it's better the other way when we kind of have a little bit more of a structure then we can do that as well but um, you can find all the episodes our previous episodes of Rise and Shine over at anchor.fm uh, Apple Podcasts Pocket Casts Google all the usual places you go to get your podcast goodness you'll find us there and Michaela and if you'd like to leave a comment uh, a like share or just say hello um, you can find us at Rise and Shine on Facebook or you can send us an email to Rise and Shine Podcast at gmail.com. Yep, it's Rise and Shine Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, that's it, I think. Join us here uh, next week where we'll be discussing Series 1, Episode 8, Breaking the Ice. Breaking the Ice, should be good. Cool. So, this is it. This is Rise and Shine with Jason and Michaela. I'm kind of hungry. Should we go to the mess hall and get our replicator on? Yeah. Get something to eat? I'm ready. We're going to get something to eat, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.